Hello and welcome back to another episode of Not Just Paleo. I'm your host, Evan Brand. Thank you for joining me. I think you're going to love today's episode, but I just want to tell you I am super pumped that you all have already found Stress Solutions on my website without me even mentioning it on the podcast yet. It is my latest program. It's a 71-page action guide that also comes with four interviews with Dr. Tim Gersmar, Dr. Justin Marcajani, Dr. Greg Emerson, and Wendy Myers. And we go deep into stress, what it is, how do you identify it, how do you measure it, what do you do about it. So stress made myself sick. I mean, I went from 170 pounds when I first left Kentucky to about 145 in Austin. And of course, I've ate less food because I've worked more on the computer and I've skipped meals and have skipped workouts and things like that. And I'm a sort of guy who finds his homeostasis at the 145 to 150 pound range if I'm not dedicated to eating a lot of food and lifting a lot of weight. And I haven't been doing either of those, so my weight has slipped. But stress has also played a role. And I really do believe the best teachers are the ones that have struggled themselves. And this is not just my anecdotal evidence, but this thing is super packed. If you're somebody who's picked up my first program, RIM Rehab, and you've looked through there, that was not too heavy on the scientific literature. It was just very clear, actionable steps, which you're going to get in stress solutions too, but I put a lot more science in there. I mean, things like a 50% drop in cortisol levels, how does that happen? Well, there's a whole section on that. How can you boost your immune system for over a month, over 23%? That's in the book too. So you could check that out. Visit notjustpaleo.com. You will see it at the homepage there, Stress Solutions. You'll see the pretty girl on the book cover. This has been a pleasure. I'm so happy that you all have already picked this guide up, and I can't wait to hear the feedback. But I just want to say thank you so much for your support, and thank you for allowing me to do this. This is a real blessing to have this opportunity to present guests to you, to sit down and look in the research and boil this all down into actionable guides. There's so many books that are like two or 300 pages when they really could be like 50 pages. I don't know. They just want to sell a big book, but you don't need a big book. Just get the information across, and that's what I've done. So there you go, and here's the show. Hello, everybody. I'm back here with Christopher Wark, who can be found at the website chrisbeatcancer.com. I just told him I can't remember how I found his story, whether one of you all sent me his website or what, but... He was diagnosed, and we're going to get into his story and let him tell us more, but the spark notes is that he was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer in 2003 at 26 years old, had surgery, but refused chemo, and instead he used nutrition and natural therapies to heal himself. By the grace of God, he's alive, kicking, and cancer-free, and that's amazing. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Evan. Thanks for having me. Glad to be with you. Yeah, so that was how many years ago at this point? That's been 11 years. Wow. So were you told that you shouldn't be alive today? <laughs> well, in so many words, yeah. You know, the, uh, the first oncologist I talked to told me I had a 60% chance of living five years, which was an exaggeration. Uh, the truth was I was diagnosed with stage 3C colon cancer and had really about a 28% chance 
of living five years with conventional cancer therapies. And somewhere under a 20% chance, 16 to 18% of living 10 years. Jeez. So, I mean, what is it like for you, before we get into the story, what is it like for you to wake up each day? I mean, is that mind-blowing in itself? <laughs> yeah. You know, some days are not mind-blowing at all. <laughs> uh, some days, you know, you just kind of wake up and you do your thing and you forget, you know. You, yeah. you, it's easy for me to to get in my routine and, and forget everything I've been through. Um, but But other days, yes, I'm very, very acutely aware of how... Um, how blessed I am and how glad I am to be alive and how precious life is. Yeah, it's almost something that we take for granted. I mean, even just yes. just feeling good, just feeling okay, and I don't even have to say happy necessarily, just feeling okay is almost a blessing sometimes. And until that's taken away, you're you really don't realize it. Yeah, we absolutely do take our health for granted, you know, disease is dis-ease. You know, when you're at ease, essentially you don't have any problems, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's very easy to take being at ease for granted until you start to, to develop dis-ease and you're sick or you have a chronic condition and then you're like, oh, wow, I just, oh, I just, I just want to feel normal, just want to feel uh, well again, you know? really right. makes you appreciate that. Right. So let's get into your story a little bit. I've always been an avid researcher as of the last five years or so, and you can never get a clear answer on how people end up with diagnoses of diseases and especially things like cancer. What do you think were the contributing factors? I mean, have you thought and guessed about this or figured out specifically what you think led to this diagnosis? Yeah, it's a great question to start with because I've thought about this and researched it at great lengths uh, for the last decade. And uh, it's amazing how much scientific evidence we have as to the causes of cancer. We know the causes of cancer and there are multiple causes. And it's every cancer patient I've ever talked to had multiple factors in their life that were health-destroying factors, Okay. And so I certainly know what mine were. And hopefully by the end of this uh, interview, your, your listeners will have a much clearer picture of why we have such high cancer rates in the United States versus many other countries. So uh, to start, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of funny. A lot of, of Americans don't really realize they only watch American news and they forget that there are other countries in the world. And... There are other people groups in the world with very different rates of disease. And another thing we're not taught in school is that there are essentially two different types of disease. There are two broad categories of disease. One is called infectious disease, which would be caused by a virus or bacteria or microbe, right? That could be influenza or malaria, uh, or, you know, one of many hundreds of, th even thousands of infectious type microorganisms. And then the other type of disease is known as chronic disease. But chronic disease has, a, has another name, and it's Western disease. So Western diseases include heart disease, cancer, diabetes, Crohn's disease, thyroid disorders, ulcers, colitis, and on and on. 
okay? And chronic Western diseases are caused primarily by our diet and lifestyle. They were named Western diseases because westernized countries, developed nations, first world nations, industrialized nations, like there's a lot of different names for them, but the point is all of these modern cultures had chronic disease in abundance, whereas primitive cultures, third world countries, didn't, right? Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> that should give you some clues, right? So, there's the, the countries in the world that are the most advanced and the richest have the highest rates of chronic disease, cancer, heart disease, and diabetes being the, being the leading killers, Okay. So, but if you look at research that, you know, this, this research has been, been ongoing for many, many decades, but uh, it really ramped up in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, where doctors and scientists would travel all over the world and examine populations of people and study their rates of disease, their health, their longevity, and compare that to the, the United States or Europe and try to figure out why <laughs> these people were so much healthier. So, and it was always in the rural area. So rural, most of Africa, rural Africa, China, India, um, uh, Southeast Asia, um, South America, they all have very much, much lower cancer rates. And, and today, but especially 50 and 60 years ago, uh, cancer was almost non-existent in Africa. It was very rare. And the types of cancers they got in rural Africa were very rare um, viral-type, you know, bacterial-type cancers. One of them was Burkitt's lymphoma, which you just hardly ever see in the U.S. But the point is, these people were living a very different life, very different diet and lifestyle. And their, <laughs> by default, their diet and lifestyle was protective against cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and all these Western diseases. So, what was the difference? Well, they eat a plant-based diet. They eat tons of plants, tons of starches especially. So, that's white and sweet potatoes and yams and beans, corn, rice. They eat fruits and vegetables. They eat nuts and seeds. They do eat meat and dairy, but in very, very small amounts because um, those are precious commodities to a primitive culture. So, you know, if you live in rural Africa, there's no money, right? There's no grocery stores. So the food you eat, you either grew it or you killed it. And most of the time, even hunter-gatherers that are living today, there are still hunter-gatherers uh, populations a lot. Uh, they like to eat meat, but they don't eat meat every day, <laughs> okay? Mm -hmm. They can only eat it when they catch it and kill it. And uh, and they don't have a great way to preserve, you know, if they catch, an, if they kill a buffalo, well, guess what? They're not going to be able to keep all that meat. It's going to go bad. They're only going to have, you're going to only be going to eat on it for a few days and then the rest goes to waste. And then they've got to find something else to kill or they may, may kill a rabbit. Well, that's like one meal, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So hunter gatherer populations subsist on root vegetables, on starches and grains, Right. They eat a lot more grains than this sort of fantasy idea of what the hunter-gatherer ate that is being propagated uh, 
ad nauseum. <laughs> so we have all this amazing research on the healthiest people in the world uh, that are alive today with the longest lifespans and the lowest incidence of disease, and they eat a plant-based diet. So they're not vegan, don't have to be vegan, don't even have to be vegetarian necessarily, but the percentage of calories you're getting from plant food versus animal food is very important. And so um, that's the first component of, of cancer rates, right, is diet. The second component is exercise. Um, Western nations, we're very sedentary. You know, a lot of us have sit-down jobs. We eat sitting down. We sleep all night, of course, laying down. We sit on the way to work. We sit at work. We sit on the way home. We sit down for dinner. Then we sit down and watch TV. And then we sit in another chair and surf the internet until bedtime. Right? We're very sedentary. Yeah, definitely. And um, uh, poor, you know, third world developing nations, poor cultures are not. They're very active. You know, people that don't have automobiles have to walk or run or ride bicycles uh, to get where they're going. They, a lot of them do a lot more physical labor every day than we do. They get a lot more fresh air, sunshine, and exercise. That's really important to longevity. Uh, the third factor in Western nations is pollution, right? Western nations have a lot of environmental pollution. We're exposed to much more pollution in the U.S., than your average rural African who lives on the plains, right? Or in the bush. Uh, and so they have a very, very low toxic exposure. And then the fourth is stress. So the more you have, the more you have to worry about. And, you know, in a modern society, we worry about all kinds of stuff that doesn't matter, you know? And in a very primitive society, they have very little worries. You know, they're worried about what's for dinner, Right. You know, are there any predators I need to worry about uh, or is there a storm coming? Right. And, you know, there may be some some social conflicts within a village, but it's nowhere near the level of um, worries, fears, responsibilities, obligations, problems, priorities, all this stuff that we deal with in a, quote, modern world. So diet lifestyle, pollution, and stress. Those are the four key factors to Western disease. They are all contributors. Now, a couple things I left out of the lifestyle part. Lifestyle does not just include whether you exercise or not. It also includes, are you taking illegal drugs? Are you drinking? Are you smoking? Of course, cigarettes are the number one cause of cancer and the number one cause of cancer death. So, I mean, that's an obvious one. The second cause of cancer and cancer death is obesity. Obesity, second leading cause of cancer. Well, that's tied into our diet and lifestyle choices. We live in a rich nation and we have an abundance of food and we overeat. And we're not overeating good food, we're overeating junk food. Uh, and so uh, that contributes to obesity. Obesity is a huge burden to the body. It suppresses function, various functions in the body and is the second leading cause of cancer. And this is not some theory I made up. This is from the National Cancer Institute. So, and then the, the other lifestyle factor that I failed to mention, I'm backtracking a little bit, but I want to touch on it, is prescription drugs. Because we, we're, we live in a nation where most of us are taking some form of prescription medication. And prescription medication does not heal the body. It does not promote health. 
The only thing it does is um, mitigate the symptom of a disease or condition or malady temporarily and usually leads to dependence to that drug and, and or resistance to the drug and causes new problems in the body. And then you need more drugs. And then you need drugs for the side effects of drugs for the side effects of drugs. Anyone in their 40s, 50s, or 60s listening knows exactly what I'm talking about because they've experienced it in their own life or they know friends or family members that are on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten medications. And uh, yeah, medications are very hard on the liver. Prescription drugs are toxic to your body. They're not good for you. And they can be helpful in the short term, but they're all detrimental in the long term. Definitely. Yeah, my grandma even, I mean, she had a stroke a couple years ago and now they put her on four different things, one to do something, one to regulate heartbeat, and then they have to add something else on top of that for the blood. And then, oh, because this is going to happen, we're going to add this one in too. I mean, it's it's so frustrating to see and witness because she's not any better. And I've, que- right. I've often questioned, are the side effects and the causes, and like you mentioned, the, the liver toxicity caused from this stuff, I mean, does the potential benefit even outweigh the effects? I mean, it's almost a ridiculous question to even ask, it seems like. That's right. And so so that's a great example. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. So what is a stroke? A stroke is a symptom, or not a symptom, but a stroke is the result of cardiovascular disease, right? When you have clogged arteries, when you have atherosclerosis, when your arteries are lined with gunk and plaque, right? Eventually, that you can form a blood clot. If you form a blood clot in in one part of your artery, then the artery leading to your heart, you have a heart attack. If you have a, a blood clot between your heart and your brain, you have a stroke. So um, she had cardiovascular disease. Well, rural Africa, uh, cardiovascular disease is very low. And because they're not eating the way we eat, they're not eating tons of meat and dairy and this high protein, high fat, and processed food diet, right? They're not eating the standard American diet. And uh, the only way to reverse heart disease that has been clinically proven, of course, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there. There's tons of opinions. Everybody's got opinions about what's the best diet, how much should you eat lots of meat and fat, or should you eat a low-fat diet and eat a vegan diet or whatever. But if you really want to get down to brass tacks, there's only one clinically proven way to reverse cardiovascular disease, to reverse atherosclerosis. And that was done by Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn and proved it unequivocally with his patients by putting them on a low-fat plant-based diet. So what he did was he took them and he put them on a plant-based diet, essentially a vegan diet, but also made it low-fat. And when I mean low-fat, they weren't eating low-fat junk food. He literally removed all the fat and oils from their diet. So zero cholesterol in their diet and zero, almost zero fats and oils. And when you take someone with heart disease and you put them on a diet that's full of starches and carbohydrates, fruits and vegetables, and zero oils, and of course they don't eat any, not allowed to eat any junk food, processed food. They're eating whole foods their body starts to heal. It starts to break down that arterial plaque and over the course of months, and sometimes it takes a little longer, a few years, 
you can have a dramatic reversal. And this is after someone already has a diagnosis of cancer, you're saying? Oh, no, we're talking about heart disease right now. Oh, heart disease specifically. Cardiovascular disease, absolutely. Yeah, his his research, the the um, uh, the published peer-reviewed studies he put out, before and after chest scans showing the dramatic changes in the arti- in the arteries. So this is a, this is a good place for me to to speak up here a little bit because what I specifically do is follow something pretty close to a paleo diet where I'm eating a lot of not a lot but a good sized portion at least a palm sized portion of bison grass fed meats now these are all healthy and organic meats and then you see prevention of heart diseases with these quality meats and like most people in the community say that I eat almost if not more vegetables than a vegetarian and so there's a lot of research here about preventing heart disease and things like that so it's interesting that this particular angle and that type of diet, which is completely the opposite of what I prescribe to myself and what uh, Chris Kresser and a lot of these other people are touting as something like a paleo diet or an ancestral diet being the best, it's interesting that once someone has heart disease, that the complete opposite is what may heal them. I, I would like to... Yes, I listen, I want I just want to encourage you to, to read the the... Read uh, read up on Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. He wrote a book called Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. And you can find his published peer-reviewed scientific, you know, with real patients, right? This isn't just speculative, right? This isn't like, oh, we, we tested some people's blood and now their blood work is better after putting them on a paleo diet kind of thing. No, this is people with heart disease reversed, right, with a nutritional change. So with a radical diet change, right? And um, again, uh, there's there's certainly some good principles coming out of the paleo movement. I appreciate the fact that they encourage eating clean, eating organic food, eating lots of vegetables, right? Eating, uh, if you're going to eat meat, eating clean, organic, wild-caught, grass-fed, that kind of sourced meat. But the one thing that is sort of the elephant in the room the bison in the room, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that this is a very new diet, okay? This is a very new diet. Even though they claim it's ancestral, it's our caveman, blah, blah, it's very new. And no one has been following it long enough to actually prove that they prevented heart disease with the diet. And there are so- certainly no studies taking heart disease patients, putting them on this diet and reversing atherosclerosis with it, okay? So those studies don't exist. There's certainly a lot of other studies where they're saying, oh, you know, we took these unhealthy people and we put them on a diet that was paleo and look, their blood works better. That's great, right? That's great. But taking someone with a real disease uh, and then radically transforming their health, um, that's a whole nother ballgame. So now, talking about cancer, I, I personally have interviewed like you, I interview a lot of people, and most of the people I interview are cancer survivors and people that have healed cancer like me with nutrition. And by and large, the vast majority of cancer pe- patients I've interviewed, and not even not interviewed, just met and talked with that have healed cancer, did it with a plant-based diet. Okay, they might have eaten a little bit of meat in there, but it was you know, upwards of 95 
to 99% plant-based. So that's tons of fruits and vegetables. Some ate beans and grains, some did not, but again, plant-based. That's mind-blowing. See, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to digest that because which No pun intended. Right, right. Which, you know, I I don't stay dogmatic or anything, but it's interesting. I wish there were more research and everything that I've seen shows and agrees which which there's very commonalities between these and the fact that it's a low inflammatory diet and full of antioxidants the only thing that differs it sounds like is there's less meat than even what i'm eating which is probably four to six ounces of quality meats per day plus vegetables so it seems like that's the only real difference besides the fat content but you know, when you do look up paleolithic diet and, and heart disease and PubMed, you find like five entries. So, I mean, you're definitely right. This is just, uh, I'm glad that you're on here because this is, this is challenging so much of the dogma that... Yeah, it's, it, you got to be it, careful. It, right. Be, I'm so, so glad you're open, right? The, the whole thing, you and I, we have to stay open. Because I don't know. I mean, that's why I call my podcast Not Just Paleo because I don't know. I, I, I get great results and I personally love being on a moderate to high fat diet i have way more energy i've experimented with the whole chicken breast and broccoli low fat diet and i felt absolutely terrible so that's well my and, and i'll tell you that the the best uh where a lot of people miss it is tr- trying to do a low fat diet they 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 miss it because you have to replace so if you were going to let's say you're going to do a diet like mine right if you're going to eat a plant-based diet like me or or like the rural Africans, which is kind of how mine's modeled after, it has to be rich in starches because they eat tons of starches. They eat tons of beans and grains, which are the things that the paleo community has demonized. But the healthiest populations in the world, whether you go to China, Africa, India, Asia, eat tons of rice, tons of beans, tons of grains. So it's like, well, wait a minute. If these foods are so bad... How come the healthiest populations around the world are healthy? <laughs> right. So let me ask you right. this then. When it, when it comes to these grains, because I personally, I'll do some organic white rice, or if I'm going to do, I don't, I, don't do, I don't do beans really at all, but are these, when you're talking about you know these ancestral people or the African style of eating and things like that, are these what you would consider the properly prepared grains where they're soaked and sprouted and things like that where they're much – and they're probably not going to be hybridized like modern grains, which are the ones that are demonized. I don't think ancient grains are demonized. I that's mean, right. That's right. So in in, uh, in primitive populations – and I mean that are alive today. Like we're not going back in time. Even people today that have exceptional health and long lifespans and very low incidence of disease – um, yes, they're eating what we would consider organic produce because uh, there's, there's no pesticides. There's no right. They're just growing their stuff. They're growing rice. They're growing wheat. They're growing corn. They're growing millet. Um, they're uh, of course growing potatoes and yams, and they're eating plantains and bananas. So yeah, they would definitely be considered clean, <laughs> right? By and large, very very clean eating. Uh, that's an important principle. Um, but again, very little meat and dairy. Very, very little, but lots of beans. And, and the thing about beans is beans have been demonized because they have phytates. And 
Phytates are actually, there is a phytate that is a, a very powerful anti-cancer compound. It's called inositol hexaphosphate. It's IP6. So if you, if you Google IP6, if you look on PubMed, IP6, inositol hexaphosphate, it, there is a lot of research about this anti-cancer compound, and it's a phytate. So phytates have been demonized. They've also been demonized because they supposedly leach minerals from your body. I have not found that to be true. Uh, I eat tons of beans and grains. In fact, I posted a video with my latest blood work. All of my mineral levels in my blood are perfect. I'm not deficient in calcium or magnesium or iron. So uh, the, the leaching of minerals that supposedly happens if you don't soak and sprout and do all this stuff um, is far overblown and exaggerated. Now, I, <laughs> so so let me interject here. So, are, when you do your your beans and your grains, what type of grains are you doing? Because for me, my what I would consider a grain that I would eat or recommend for somebody, and probably one of the only ones, would be a non gluten containing grain, potentially organic white rice, or I mean, occasionally some some of the other. You know, this is what I eat. I eat oats, yeah. which is actually a gluten free grain. Um, I eat lots of oats, oatmeal every day for, for breakfast. Uh, I eat brown rice, black rice, and red rice. I don't eat white rice because I want the bran. I want the bran. So red rice and black rice actually have higher antioxidant content than brown, so I prefer those uh, over brown rice. I eat um, quinoa often and, and then just wheat occasionally. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. So it sounds like you are on a pretty wheat, low wheat or wheat-free diet, which is... Yeah, I would say, I wouldn't call it wheat-free, but it's very low in the wheat um, because I don't eat a whole lot of bread, um, but I eat lots of grain stuff. And I'll eat, uh, sometimes for breakfast, I'll have organic uh, yellow corn grits. Grits are very popular, uh, you know, in rural countries. They're very cheap, very inexpensive. Obviously, organic corn, so, or, or else it's going to be GMO. So, just grits or just oatmeal for breakfast, and nothing else. Well, I load it up though. So, like, uh, there's a recipe on my website. But the, when I eat oatmeal, it's a thousand calories. It's a full cup of dry oats. It's two tablespoons of almond butter. It's three tablespoons of hemp seed. Two tablespoons of flax seed. A tablespoon of chia seed. Uh, I throw in a big handful of dried blueberries, uh, raspberries, cranberries, goji berries, all kind of mixed together. Um, I'll add two tablespoons of blackstrap molasses, an amazing source of iron, uh, as well as calcium and magnesium and potassium. So love molasses. And, uh, and then I might add some date sugar, which is ground up dates, just dates ground up in a powder. Um, or date syrup, which is the same thing. It's just dates, nothing else. And so, yeah, it's a thousand calorie bowl of oatmeal. Yeah, that, <laughs> so, that, that sounds a little better than what I was expecting. I was I was picturing just a plain bowl of oatmeal, which to yeah, me very sounds bland, like sounds yeah, like to it bland no, diabetes course. in the bowl or something. But yeah, man, if you're down with the almond butter and stuff, that's that's definitely you know making me making me happy because i was going to say how in the world are you sustaining yourself on that but that's good to hear that you have hemp seeds in there too i'm down with hemp bakes you gotta load it up yeah you gotta yeah. load it up and uh and I, of course put cinnamon in there and then uh but no butter no milk don't need any don't have any you know need for dairy in there and uh fills me up i've got energy all morning you know just steady energy uh don't drink coffee don't drink caffeine 
um, you know, it just I just don't need it. It's like it's just not required. Well, yeah, I, I want to move forward, but I, I'm glad that we got to get a little bit deeper into what that actually sounds like. Because at first, I mean, all of my red flag alarms were going off like, holy crap, this is this sounds just completely, you know, nonsense. But yeah, now I want to tell hear... you about two. I want to tell you about two of my friends. Yeah, go ahead. So one of my friends is a woman named Jeanette Murray Wakelin. You can Google her. Jeanette and her husband uh, eat a diet that's primarily raw vegan. They eat mostly fruit. About 80% of their diet is fruit. They follow what's called 80-10-10. Jeanette and her husband are in their 70s, and last year they ran a marathon every day for the entire year around the continent of Australia. Powered only by fruit. So I wonder what kind of what kind of fruit are they eating? Do you know? Because you always hear Dates about too much fruitose. Dates and bananas, man. The highest, sweetest fruits you can get. Oh no! See, to me, that's to me that sounds crazy, and it sounds like what sort of led to the downfall of Steve Jobs with his kind of fruititarian diet. Because I've done a lot of research into the banana diet, and I can't find anything that seems to make sense of it. So for me, that sounds nuts. But right, and but, but yeah, there's some very high performing people that do really well on it. So I'm not saying that's for everyone, right. but. They, listen, that's a marathon every single day, and they're in their 70s. I mean, that's nuts. So my other friend, uh, and I interviewed them on my site, so my other friend is Dr. Ruth Heydrich. So Dr. Ruth Heydrich was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1982, stage four. They took out a, a tumor from her breast. She had it in her bones and her lungs. And the oncologist said, look, you need chemo, blah, blah, blah. She found Dr. John McDougall. Dr. John McDougall said, no. He said, listen, why don't you try changing your diet? Why don't you model your diet after the healthiest people groups in the world, after the Africans, after the Asians? Let's put you on a plant-based diet, lots of starches, so lots of rice, beans, potatoes, corn, and um, remove all the animal products, all the junk from your diet. She, she decided to go with him, and within two weeks, her bone pain was gone. Within a year to two, all the, the stage four cancer was gone. She went on to run to, to run win nine Ironman triathlons. She's won over nine hundred medals, sixty something marathons. Been in the senior Olympics, won gold medals in the senior Olympics. Uh, just one of the most amazing people on planet Earth, Dr. Ruth Heydrich, and she did it on a plant based diet, tons of starches, beans, and grains, and uh, now she's actually mostly raw. So. What does that prove? I don't know. You know, your listeners can decide what that proves. But the the reality is there's a lot of theory. There's a lot of people pushing theories, right, and pushing scientific theories. But I actually prefer to learn from real people. Like, I, I want to learn from real people. I want to find real people that have had success, and I want to emulate that success versus a person with an idea, right, that sounds great but doesn't really have any real people behind his idea that have proven it to be sa- solid and sound in the long term. Have you spent time on Mark's Daily Apple before? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, because he's a good example of somebody who promotes a, a primal diet, which is 
slightly different than a paleo diet and there's yeah he also sells primal whey protein which is a complete farce yeah well the whey protein supplements whey protein being primal i don't i don't know know about that but i i definitely do some grass he does sell it he sells he sells whey protein oh definitely i know i'm saying but i don't know about it being (laughs) primal or that our ancestors had access to it definitely not in the form of a powdered plastic bottle but but I take organic grass-fed whey. But no, so on there, I don't know if you've seen his stories. They're success stories every week of people that came from maybe a fruititarian. I haven't seen any specifically like fruit-based diet people switching over. But just basically the point I'm trying to come across here is that a lot of similarities are are there. And Yeah, my, no, I, my, I, I get the point you're trying to make. And, and, I, and my I, goal is not to... Uh, to, to jump on one side of the boat and say, oh, everything that you're saying is ridiculous and, and, the, and these people are just random occurrences. But what I would like to focus on instead is what people are doing and the fact that organic nutrient-dense vegetables being a staple, like in the instance of, you know, what something like Mark would promote is the big-ass salad, you know, that's good stuff. So I think there's some good similarities. Sure. And- yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And look, you can take any unhealthy person, right? An unhealthy person, and you put them on a healthier diet, and they're going to have improvements, right? The one thing you don't see on Mark's website is people reversing cancer, and you don't see him reversing heart disease. And to me, that's that's really more important because it's pretty easy to take an unhealthy person you know, make some improvements and get them in better shape, right? And there's certainly people out there that did not try to fruitarian diet, did not do well on it, right? Tried a vegan diet, did not do well on it, didn't have good instruction, right? Didn't didn't know what to eat, ate the wrong things. They might have been a junk food vegan, junk food vegetarian, etc. So, um, you know, there's a lot of factors, right? There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that have to fit into place for your diet to be sound and healthy. Um, but again, I only take issue with um, people who ignore some of the best epidemiological research we have on the healthy people today in favor of a theory from you know caveman era. <laughs> That's what I take issue with. I'm like, why are we ignoring the healthy people alive today? Do you know the longest living people group in America is? It's probably the, what is it, the Okinawans? Well, they're Japanese. Uh, but the longest living people group in America are the Seventh-day Adventists. The Seventh-day Adventists are uh, a, a religious... Hey, you, you could take that call if it's important. No, it's fine. All right. They are a religious denomination that is largely vegetarian. Did you know that? No, I didn't actually. There's but. there's a long-term ongoing study on them. It's called the Adventist Health Study. And they've been following them for decades and decades. And Loma Linda, California is sort of like the Salt Lake, what Salt Lake City is for the Mormons. Loma Linda is for the Seventh-day Adventists. So there's a high population of Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda. And so much so that it, it was classified as a National Geographic Blue Zone because they had so many people living past 100 way more than any other geographic area in America. And uh, it's because of the Seventh-day Adventists, and they're mostly vegetarian, which is fascinating, right? By the way, I'm not vegetarian, I'm not vegan, but uh, I eat a plant-based diet. So just just to be clear, I'm not promoting that 
one of those uh, you know dietary identities. But when we have the longest living people group is a vegetarian group of people in America, it seems like you would want to know about them and pay attention to what they're doing and how they're living, right? But, so you're saying that there's it seems to be an an obvious or intentional avoidance of paying attention to those people. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do think there are um, you know, experts self-proclaimed and or um, maybe legitimate experts out there that are ignoring information that does not jive with what they're promoting. Right. So that, like, yeah, that's a good point. And um, I, I did find one success story here on March Daily Apple where a lady had cancer and came back to health and ended up coming up negative after going to a primal diet. So there is at least some, there's at least one story What's her there. name? Uh, let's see here. Let me scroll down. Uh, there's pictures of her. I could send you it in the in the Skype chat. Let's see. It doesn't look like she signed her name. I don't. It, it doesn't show her name here. It just says that she had her five year post cancer checkup, including mammogram, bone density scan, and blood work. The mammogram was clean, and the post chemo osteopenia I had is gone. My thyroid's healthy again. I have healthy levels on all of the vitamins and such. This all clear was the news I was waiting for. That's great. Um, what you'll find on my site are real, real names and faces. <laughs> She's got pictures. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, and and names, people that you can actually reach out to. Right. That that have successfully healed cancer. So, but again, I'm not discounting it. That's great. Maybe she did. Um, but the vast majority of people, and and this is my world. Like this is every day, all day. I interview people that have healed cancer. I'm, I, I coach people around the world that have cancer. And by and large, the vast majority healed it with a largely plant-based diet. So, you know, you can d- just take it for what it's worth, right? But, you know, I think it's great that your, your podcast is the Not Just Paleo podcast because I see so many people that pigeonhole themselves into a diet and they're like, Paleo mom, paleo Joe, you know, or, you know, fruitarian Fred or whatever, right? And then all of a sudden they've built an identity and around their diet and they're stuck, right? Because you can't really be fruitarian Fred and then start eating meat. Right. <laughs> like you're going to lose your audience. Yeah. My, my, just, what I've learned is that there's so many unique people. I mean, and then you hear those stories about people that are drinking vodka and smoking cigarettes every day. And it's like, there's so many weird stories out there that for me to stick to one thing for my entire life and say that I have it a hundred percent figured out, I'd be lying to myself. And I don't think I could live with trying to be dogmatic, which is why I have to challenge you in a little bit because I've because I've had such good results and my health symptoms improving, but at the same time, there's probably things that I may have not experienced yet that I may be able to play around with here in the future. So this is good stuff. If 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 uh, that's cool with you, I want to move forward a little bit before we run out of time yeah. because you have so much other knowledge <laughs> bes- besides defending a good a good you know plant based diet that I want to touch on and some of your natural therapies and things like that. How in the world? besides diet and removing the toxic load and things like that maybe put us inside of your brain a little bit 
were you having a lot of self-inflicted stress or what was it you mentioned that a lot of the things that the Western world has as far as pollution, but what else in your particular situation do you think was going on to contribute to your cancer? Um, so, you know, I mentioned the four factors that contribute to cancer, and they were all present. They were all present. I mean, I was eating a standard American diet, right? Tons of meat, tons of dairy, junk food, fast food, processed food, all that, okay? Um, I did have a lot of stress in my life, and I had a lot of negativity, a lot of negative emotions. I was very judgmental and critical and cynical person. Um, I was very selfish and self-centered. Uh, I had some bitterness and like resentment toward others, and I just l- allowed myself to harbor a lot of negativity, even as a young person. And frankly, you know, there wasn't even a good reason for it. I had a pretty great childhood. My parents stayed together, you know, um, you know, I didn't, wasn't abused, didn't have any major problems as a kid, but somehow I had just, um, allowed myself to become very, you know, insecure and, uh, and negative and unhappy. So those, I had to face that, right? I had to face down those emotions because the truth is stress suppresses your immune system, when you have stresses and worries and fears and problems, right, it suppresses your immunity. It, what happens is when you're stressed, when you're afraid, it's your fight or flight response. Your body produces excess amounts of cortisol and adrenaline, and those hormones switch off your immune system. They affect your digestion. They limit your body's ability to digest and absorb food. They affect your brain function. You make bad decisions. And they even affect your reproductive function and your hormone levels in your body. So stress is really the root cause of all cancers. Every cancer patient I've ever talked to had major stress in their life. And oftentimes, they had a major traumatic event within three to five years of their diagnosis. And that's kind of what we call like the cancer trigger. I was going to ask, could you give us a couple examples of those? Like, yeah. is that like a car wreck or is that their no, husband No, it's usually dying something or? worse. Yeah. So I, I'll give you the best example is actually a girl I talked to last week. She, in the year and a half before she found this lump in her breast, her one of her best friends killed himself. Two of her family members died and she was fired from her job. And it was a really nasty kind of firing situation. And those are very traumatic life events. I mean, the the loss of one loved one is a traumatic life event, a breakup, traumatic event, an abusive, being in an abusive relationship, right? Or being attacked or assaulted, right? Very traumatic life event. Okay. And so, um, again, those are always, almost always present in the years leading up to a cancer diagnosis. I actually didn't have any of those. I was, you know, but they're very, very common. I was just a ball of negativity. <laughs> wow. So what what happened to where you figured out something was wrong? I mean, how did that whole process go from maybe you feeling like crap or and then yeah, going yeah. to so the I, doctor or you know, I was I was self employed, I had a lot of stress, I was building a real estate business and I was, you know, enjoying myself. It wasn't like I was just like hating life, but but I was burning the candle at both ends. I wasn't taking care of myself. And, you know, I just was really needed sugar and caffeine to get through the day. And I had very low energy. I was tired all the time. And then I started getting abdominal pain. And I thought maybe I had an ulcer. And I put that off. And it was kind of, it would kind of come and go. And finally, it, it, it started 
becoming routine, you know, I was every day and it, the pain just got worse and worse. And so eventually, you know, I had to go to the doctor and through, after several different doctor's appointments, they finally had a, a gastroenterologist uh, do a colonoscopy and he found a golf ball sized tumor in my large intestine. So I was like, okay, oh, uh, this isn't good. And I was 26. And then he, uh, you know, they biopsied it the next day and called me and said, look, this is, you've got colon cancer. Uh, we've got to have surgery. got to get this thing out of you as fast as we can. And they rushed me into surgery, which is what they do with every cancer patient. They don't give you time to think about your life or your health. It's just like, we got we to cut you open, cut it out as fast as we can. Are you glad that you went straight into that? I'm not necessarily glad I had surgery. I mean, it, it's okay. It happened. It's, it was just part of my journey. Um, and it's fine. You know, I mean, it is what it is, right? It happened. If I had cancer now, I wouldn't be so quick to have surgery. Okay. That's, yeah, you that's know? the answer I was looking but for. But knowing what I know now, right? So most people don't know anything, and I didn't either. So they're just like, okay, doc, whatever you say. So I, I had the surgery. They took out a third of my large intestine. They took out the tumor. Then they came back and said, oh, it was worse than we thought. You're stage 3C, which means you need 9 to 12 months of chemotherapy. We got everything we could see, but, you know, uh, cancer cells are microscopic. You know, you can't see a cancer cell. There's a there's a million cancer cells in in, in like a tiny little dot. Like, um, you know, the small enough to pick up on a on a scan is like a million cells in one place. You know, so um, yeah, <laughs> there's no way they're going to get it all. Um, on top of that, cancer is a systemic disease. It involves your entire body, and that's why they recommended chemotherapy because they knew very high percentage, it's coming right back after surgery because surgery doesn't cure cancer when it's stage 3C. So, um, you know, I didn't like the idea of chemotherapy. It didn't make sense to me. I, the idea of poisoning myself, letting someone poison me and that it was going to make me better, you know, it didn't, like, could not make sense of that idea. And the success rates were dismal anyway. And my wife and I prayed about it, and I was just like, "God, if there's another way besides chemotherapy, just show me." Because I and I don't, I don't know what to do. You know, I was desperate for, for some kind of other option, if there was one. And two days later, I got a book that was sent to me from a man in Alaska called "God's Way to Ultimate Health," and that book was written by a man who had colon cancer, and instead of surgery, or chemo, or radiation, he radically changed his diet. And he started eating raw fruits and vegetables, raw diet. And he started juicing like crazy, drinking tons of carrot juice. As soon as I read his book, I was like, this is it. This is what I asked for. And here it is. I'm, I'm, this is what I'm doing. And, uh, I mean, it was just so obviously an answer to prayer. Uh, and so I had a lot of confidence that that was the path for me. Even though I still had doubts and fears, uh, I jumped in just head first, man. Completely changed her raw vegan diet overnight, bought a juicer, started juicing carrots, drinking 64 ounces of carrot juice every day, eating giant salads um, and lots of fr I mean, fruit smoothies and giant salads, basically. And um, <laughs> my, my family members, most of them, thought I was nuts and asked me to go, please go see the oncologist. Go, you know, just hear what they have to say. Maybe they have some other th alternative therapies you can do or whatever. 
And the truth is, uh, cancer clinics are like a fear factory. And you go in there and they use fear to manipulate you and to motivate you to do exactly what they want you to do, which is chemotherapy, because that's how they make money. Um, people don't realize that oncologists make um, 30% to 60% of their income, but usually more like 60% from the markup from chemotherapy drugs. It's called buy and build. They buy the drugs from the manufacturer, mark them up, and then sell them to you or your insurance company. And it's the only segment of the medical industry where doctors are allowed to make a profit off the drugs they prescribe. It's, it's very corrupt. It's sickening. I yeah. Can't, I can't. I mean, I, I want to say I can't believe that, but I, I mean, I can. I actually can believe yeah, that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you, you, you can Google it. You'll find plenty of documentation. This is the way uh, oncology works. So, and so. Um, sorry to interrupt you. I just had this idea in my mind that sugar is what feeds cancer. So when I hear like the fruit smoothies, for me, that sounds like, wow, that would that would feed it. But it seemed to. Mm, it seemed, yeah, it seemed to help you instead. You're saying. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because there is a there's sort of a misunderstood idea about sugar and cancer. Cancer cells uh, have fifteen at least fifteen times more insulin receptors than a normal cell. Um, they they certainly do uptake glucose faster than a normal cell. And so everybody's like, everybody says, well, cancer feeds sugar feeds cancer. But the truth is, we're not getting cancer in the United States because we're eating too much fruit. Okay, number one. Number two, fruit and vegetable sugar is very different than white sugar or corn syrup. Yeah, that's true. When you, when you eat fruit, you're, yes, you're getting sugar, but every cell in your body runs on sugar unless you're in ketosis. So the, the vast majority of people in the world are running on sugar. Every cell is running on sugar. But when you eat fruit, you, yes, you get sugar that your cell uses as fuel, but you also get antioxidants, enzymes, vitamins, minerals, and thousands of phytonutrients with anti-cancer benefits to the body. So you're getting this like perfect synergy of nutrition from fruit. And of course, you get it in vegetables too. Um, so, so what are your in the beginning, I'll just say in the beginning, I had read that stuff, sugar feeds cancer, or, you know, watch the fruit. And I was a little bit afraid of fruit in the beginning too. But then I just started realizing, you know what, fruit is a good thing. I, I believe that God made the earth for us. So everything that comes from the earth that is not poisonous, that is, you know, time tested to be food is good. So fruit is certainly in that category for me. And I eat about eight to 10 servings of fruit every day. So I'm a major fruit eater. I love fruit. What kind of fruit are you doing? I particularly love blueberries and have seen a lot of good yeah. research about blueberries. But what about you? So on a daily basis, I eat – usually for lunch, I have a huge smoothie. It's like 50 ounces. Before cups of berries. So blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, and cherries, um, bananas. I'll put dates in there. And then I'll put you know kale and almonds and walnuts and hemp seed and just other random stuff I have handy. But yeah, berries, bananas, dates. I just had an orange, you know, a few minutes ago. <laughs> you know, and you know what honey bell oranges are? They're amazing. Um, and so there's really no fruit I, I won't eat. I'll eat any fruit. Right? Fruit's great. I mean, some some mornings all I have for breakfast is, is a bananas. You know, five or six bananas, or maybe I'll buy a watermelon and eat as much watermelon as I want for breakfast. So, um, so I love fruit. I think fruit's great. 
would I be a fruitarian? No, I'm not, you know, I don't have any interest in being a fruitarian. But so back to the cancer story. So I, I jumped on this uh, as a uh, eating mostly vegetables, but eating fruit too, and drinking tons of carrot juice. So carrot is very rich in a couple anti-cancer compounds. One is called falcarinol, and the other is beta carotene, which most people have heard of. Uh, which is produced creates vitamin A in the body, which is a liver detoxifier. So, um, I was following this guy's path. Like this guy did it, maybe it'll work for me, right? Just very, it's just a very simple thought process, right? I'll try that. Um, I'm much less afraid of carrot juice than I am of chemotherapy, <laughs> right? So, uh, immediately I started feeling better. Uh, I did some juice fasting and found a naturopath, started working with him, got on a lot of different supplementation, started doing vitamin C IVs, uh, found an integrative oncologist, never went back to the original cancer clinic. Um, that, that doctor actually told me I was insane if I didn't do chemotherapy. And um, from there, you know, I, I did not do well on the raw diet. Right, so I am a. I, I've been through lots of diet. You know, I've I've done paleo in the last ten years. I've experimented with all kinds of diets, but so the raw vegan diet didn't work well for me because one, I wasn't getting enough calories. I just couldn't get enough calories, even though I was stuffing myself. So my naturopath said, you know, you just need more cooked food. So start eating some cooked food with dinner. Start eating some sweet potatoes and some brown rice and some quinoa and some lentils. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do that. So that made a huge difference right away. Um, he recommended I start eating a few servings of clean meat, okay? So wild-caught salmon and organic lamb were the two meats that he thought I should eat. Interesting about the lamb, he said lamb doesn't have any stress hormones in it because the lamb is the only animal that doesn't resist being slaughtered, which is also why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. So pretty interesting little, uh, little in info there about lamb, but doesn't have cortisol, doesn't have fear and stress hormones in the meat. So, um, so I started eating, you know, salmon or lamb like once or twice a week, uh, per his recommendation. Again, and I was kind of dogmatic about being a raw vegan because I was like feeling superior to the rest of humanity <laughs> at that point. <laughs> you know, being a successful raw vegan. But the truth, you know, when I looked in the mirror, I knew I needed cooked food because I just couldn't. I was too skinny. I mean, I couldn't put on weight. And, um, so anyway, so that, that made a big improvement I just adding cooked food and adding a little bit of clean meat, whether that helped or not, I don't know, but I feel like, yeah, it probably helped a little bit. I got a little more calories and, um, it was a little more protein than I was consuming before. And so that was 2004. Okay. All I, all that from, from there all the way till today, my health has only gotten better and better and better. Of course, there's no cancer. I don't have cancer in my body or anything like that. And I've had scans and tests and all kinds of stuff along the way, but I have experimented. I mean, you know, when, when paleo started picking up steam five years ago, six years ago, um, I was like, well, I agree with some of these principles. Let's try to eliminate beans and grains and see. And then, then I just realized, you know, this is too much meat for me. I don't need this much meat. So um, I've done the Western Price thing, raw milk, raw eggs, all that stuff to see how it, what kind of effect it had in my body. And it really didn't do anything for me other than uh, make me break out uh, from all the dairy and, uh, and fat. So that, did, you know, that didn't work either. And then I just really came full circle back to where I started, which was eating a plant-based diet. And, and I'm basically 98 
99% plant-based. So I don't promote vegetarianism or veganism. Uh, I don't believe people have to stop eating meat. Um, but, you know, kind of like we, what I talked about in the very beginning of our conversation, I think one of the big problems is that in America we eat a rich man's diet. We eat a king's diet. We eat way too much meat. And I believe eating way too much meat uh, and dairy and not the junk food we all can agree on, but too much meat and dairy, I think, is going to lead to chronic diseases. So, um, but yeah, so anyway, I, you know, you and I have a lot in common. We have much more in common, I think, than we do uh, maybe, uh, you know, little disagreements about. Yeah, man, we're, we're running out of time. We're going to have to do this again. Sure. Because I feel like we barely scratched the surface because we had so much housekeeping to do together. I just appreciate your honesty through all this, man. And I think just overall, and maybe you can touch on this too, it just sounds like you being honest with yourself and you just being a human and saying, look, I'm a human. What what do I do well with? What don't I do well with? I think just being honest with yourself has really, has really helped you. And it really shows clear that you've purposely not attached any sort of labels to yourself. And that's enabled you to be very mobile and changing your diet and seeing how you feel and what works for you. So that's awesome. Yeah. And look, that's, that's the one thing that I, I would, that I encourage everyone to do, you know, if they have cancer, I have more specific recommendations, but even just somebody that's like, ah, I don't feel like I'm very healthy. Listen, try some different things, right? Try some different things. Great. Somebody wants to try the paleo diet. That's fine. If the, you know, the alternative to that, if they want to try a more plant-based diet, I recommend Dr. John McDougall, his book, The Starch Solution, would be a great place to start because that's a very broad, e- you know, easy to follow plant-based diet. It's, it's not restrictive like being a raw foodist or being a fruitarian or something like that. Um, but yeah, and then there's, you know, there's all sorts of variations in between, but we do have different needs, right? Some of us need a little more protein. Some of us need more carbs, right? So, um, ultimately i just want to help people get well (laughs) so you know dogma aside right right yeah absolutely i'm right there with you man well i would love to do this again here in the future but i want you to leave people with just i'm i guarantee there's a bible full of takeaways that that you've had in the last 10 15 years of your life but maybe something maybe fill us in on something that's changed for you where you were negative and harboring all this stress and things like that. What is your, what does your life look like today? Or what is your mindset towards the world? What does it feel like? Well, the biggest lesson, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is gratitude and forgiveness. Okay. I mean, there's a lot to be learned about changing your diet, of course, but, but exercising gratitude and being thankful for what you have every day is so powerful because it's so easy to get caught up in a world where we're bombarded with other people's on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and how great their life appears to be. And all it does is make us jealous and envious and unhappy with our own life. And the truth is, is if you look at all the good things that you have in your life and you're thankful and you just say, thank you, God, that I can walk and talk, right? That I'm not, you know, Stephen Hawking in a wheelchair, right? Or whatever. Um, when you count your blessings, it completely changes your attitude and your perspective on life. I think gratitude is the secret to happiness. It really is. And the other secret to happiness is forgiveness. 
is forgiving people that have hurt you, all of them. And not only everyone from your past, but then just practicing a life of forgiveness that anytime people hurt you or offend you, just be quick to forgive them and let it go. Because if you harbor those, that negativity and, and bitterness and resentment, it literally is like drinking poison and hoping it hurts the other person, right? It only hurts you. And those are lessons I learned, you know, cancer forced me to learn them. And uh, they're, they're ideas and concepts or whatever you want to call them that I talk about often <laughs> because they're that important. But ultimately, you know, if there's a cancer patient listening, I would want them to know, hey, you have options, okay? You have options. The body created cancer. The body can heal it. Nutrition plays a powerful, powerful role in health along with what we talked about earlier, your lifestyle and your emotions and stress and whether or not you're exposed to toxic pollution but ultimately, you have control over your health, and you have options, and you don't have to abdicate your power to a doctor who won't even know your name if you ran into him at the supermarket. So just think about those things, okay? Re- start reading and researching and learning and seeking out people who have successfully healed cancer. That's where you learn how to do it. That's great advice, and I'll send people back to your website, chrisbeatcancer.com. There's Thank you. tons of awesome videos and stuff like that for people to check out, and you just got to keep it real, it sounds like, man. That's kind of the what you're saying in so many words. Yeah, stay look, stay humble, stay open, keep learning, right? Just keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. It's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in dogma if all you hear is one, one side of, a, of an idea. But which, which is why I purposely brought you on here. So. Yeah, man. Force yourself, right? Force yourself to hear, the, you know, to, to hear all sides, all opinions, all ideas. I think you'll find the best balance there for sure. Well, Chris, thanks so much. I would love to, uh, to continue this conversation, but we're out of time for today. So thanks again for your time and, you know, Best of health to you, man. This is an awesome story, and and I'm so glad that I got to connect with you. So thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Evan. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. I look forward to doing it again. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And I just quickly want to say thank you so much for allowing me to keep it real. That is my job. That is my goal here. If you think I'm ever failing at the goal of keeping it real, email me at notjustpaleo at gmail and say, look, Evan, you've lost it. You're not keeping it real. And I say that because I've had several dozen emails and probably hundreds and thousands of people that I haven't heard from that have let me know that they've left other podcasts because the person is just not keeping it real anymore. And I don't have to say any names, but I've seen the way that once people get to a certain point in their career or their life or their podcast or whatever, something happens, a switch happens. And I don't have to spend too much time feeling out this idea, but you know exactly what I'm talking about, and this is something that's that's never going to happen for me. We're over 2 million downloads of this podcast in, and if I'm keeping it real with you this long, I'm keeping it real for life. I mean, that's who I am. This This is me, you know, so... I have no reason to BS you. Do I still have to make a career and a living by promoting my products getting you to sign up for complimentary consultations and do one-on-one consults with me. You can pick up my book, Rim Rehab. You can pick up my brand new program, Stress Solutions, back at the website, notjustpaleo.com. 
You can check out my resources tab and support me there with all of the different products I use to make this business possible. I still have to, to say that, and, and I hope you do check all that stuff out and do support me because my goal every day is to wake up and to change someone's life, and hopefully I've changed yours and improved it. My life even is so different than when I first started this podcast, and the amount of connections that you make about life, it all really does get boiled down to some simple principles that I'll leave you with just to make sure you have a clear head as you're, as you're leaving this episode. So you have to stay true to yourself. And if you're not true to yourself, then I don't know how you can be true to other people, especially if you're in the business of talking to other people and communicating like I do. So even if you're not in that type of business, you have to keep it real for yourself and for everyone around you. I'm not saying that ego is a bad thing. Ego is what keeps you alive. That is sort of the the push to maintain yourself, right? If your ego was completely crushed and you had not even 1% of ego, if you say that you don't at least have 1% of ego, you're probably lying. But that sort of motivation is what gets you through life to help maintain who you are and what you like to do with your life. You like to eat good food. You like to go out and take the car out for a spin. You like to go out for a hike. And you got to have the resources and the time and the finances and all of that to do that. So to keep it real with yourself is the first step in achieving all of that and maintaining all of that. Secondly, I would say my my kind of general advice for you is just to be honest with yourself. And that's sort of the same thing as keep it real. But you got to know when to stop and when to say no. If you're in a situation, you can feel your health sliding downwards. You can feel that stress is starting to overwhelm you. You got to be honest with yourself and say, look, man, I need it. I need a day off. Luckily, I haven't had any any days off like that. And over two and a half years of this podcast being on the air, I haven't had the point I've been close to the point where I'm like, oh man, I really just, I really don't think I can get a show out this week. And then I end up doing it. And I don't force myself beyond uncomfortability, but I've just tried to create a lifestyle that allows me to rest and recover. So by the time every week rolls around, I'm ready to jump on jump on the Skype or the phone or whatever with somebody and, and hash it out. And... I'm not a perfect person. I never will be, but I do think that my experience and my continual love and appreciation and immersion in nature is really one of the key things that's keeping me going. And inside of my program, Stress Solutions, you're going to see a lot about nature in there. And not only just my personal anecdotal evidence, but also the scientific literature that's come out. I mean, I would say probably 50 or more percent of the studies that I put inside of Stress Solutions came out between 2012 and 2014. So all this stuff is so new. And the research that's showing things like a 50% drop in stress hormone levels, over a 23% boost of your NK killer immune cells, spending time out in nature. I mean, these things are great. And that's only just a piece of what I've outlined. And so I really think that's kind of the secret that that's really keeping me going. And I encourage you, whatever type of nature you have around you, just to go experience it, go listen to the birds, go sit down, 
when you get done listening to the show, put on some good music and just enjoy yourself. You don't have to keep waiting for people to grant you happiness, and you don't have to wait to grant yourself happiness. Oh, I'll be happy when I move, or oh, I'll be happy when I get this new car, or when school's over, or when I finally get out of this job, or when I finally lose that 10 pounds. I mean, you can't just put a, a, a deadline that you're never going to reach. You can't just keep putting your happiness away. You're, you're basically putting a carrot in front of yourself and the carrot's strapped to your back, you know, so it's kind of bent over in front of your face. You're never going to catch it. And you have to just eat the carrot. Enjoy that success. Celebrate something where you've come from, I'm sure. I mean, I just saw a couple reviews on iTunes where people have lost 15, 20, 30 pounds by listening to my show. And I'm not even a guy who hits so much on diet. You know, I try to hit on all the other stuff, assuming that you can figure out diet or assuming that you've you've nailed it from my early episodes. So I really think there's a lot of opportunities for you to celebrate things that are going on in your life right now. And you should celebrate them. Put on your music and dance. Just dance. It's so fun. You can put on your headphones, put on your speaker, whatever you got to do. But you really just got to let loose. I promise you. This serious attitude, I don't know what's up with it, but for me, I see a lot of people in my age group, any, anywhere from, I'd say, even even earlier than my age group, I'd say 16-year-olds, teenagers, that, that, you know, the goal is always to try to be cool, but I would say from 60 to 75-year-old people, I've seen people that are just too serious, and I think that serious attitude really, really just puts a damper on your overall health and your overall life. You have to let it go. You can you can change what happens up to a certain extent, but to be serious and to be fearful and angry about the percentages of life that you can't change, that stuff is just going to wear you out. So I don't know where I'm going with all this, but I figured I'd just spend a couple minutes here with you because I've been in sort of a reflective period, and I just wanted to share some of these thoughts with you, and I hope this helps you and inspires you. I can't wait to see your review on iTunes for the show. It means a lot to me, and I really want to give somebody cool these business and health books that I have. I've literally read these things like once, and uh, maybe I should read them some more in the meantime, but this is something that I wanted to offer back to you. And uh, so that's it. I'll talk to you next week. Take great care of yourself and put some stuff into action. I'm supposed to say bye too, right? All right, bye-bye. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool. Kiss a girl and I never please her. She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible clues. Why I'm in a tie, I gotta watch out, girl Don't wanna see her cry her eyes out, girl Cause I've been warned